Good morning and God's blessings to you on this, the fourth Sunday of Easter. We continue our celebration of Easter. Uh, this Sunday is named Jubilate, Jubilate from the introit, which begins, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. The way that we praise God, the way that we glorify his name and magnify him and bless him is by recounting all of the things that he has done for us. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Not least of all is his enemy, death, coming cringing to him on a day like this when we rejoice that God has overcome death and the grave for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us worship and be glad. Let us rejoice and recount the deeds of God for our salvation, for his steadfast love is good and his mercy endures forever. We'll be following the order of service, divine service setting three without Holy Communion this morning, and we'll begin by singing hymn number 480, 480. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart, and confess our sins to God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin.
Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all our sins, and by your Holy Spirit increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will, and true obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given his only Son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Amen. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Alleluia. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Alleluia. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Alleluia. Almighty God, you show those in error the light of your truth, so that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant faithfulness to all who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's church, that they may avoid whatever is contrary to the confession, and follow all such things as are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
The Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday of Easter is from Lamentations, chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. He sent redemption to his people. Alleluia. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. I've noticed lately that for our curbside communion service, directing traffic has become much easier for me. At first it felt like I was trying to run a play on the basketball court and a clipboard with a marker would have been really helpful, but now everyone seems to have it pretty well figured out and there's something strange about that. It's still all very abnormal but you can see how it could begin to become a new normal. How long would it take? How long would we have to spend listening to services at home and having communion from our cars in front of the church before we forgot what it was like to worship together in the sanctuary? Certainly longer than six weeks, but how long? Six months? A year? Six years? At some point, we'd get quite used to it. It would become the new normal, and it would no longer feel strange or out of place. We become habituated to things. People are adaptable. We get used to things. We settle in and get comfortable. Now, hopefully, you react against that 
a bit. It's a sad thought, isn't it? We don't want to forget what it's like to gather as a congregation and worship together and receive the sacrament all together. We don't want curbside communion to feel normal. We don't want listening to church in our jammies with a cup of coffee to feel like that's the way things should be. It's not. The liturgy of the divine service breaks with our everyday experiences. It's something different, completely different from watching the morning news or going to the drive through at McDonald's. It is communion with God according to his word and promises. It's coming into his presence with thanksgiving and receiving from him forgiveness, life, and salvation. It is otherworldly and not thisworldly. And that's why the prospect of a new normal should make us chafe. Now, I don't think that this present situation will go on so long that we'll forget what it was like to be together in church. But I want you to imagine it because it's helpful in understanding something that Peter talked about in our epistle lesson. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That first word, sojourner, needs a bit of explanation. A sojourner is someone who is somewhere temporarily If you're staying away from home for a bit, you're a sojourner. You're a sojourner when you're on vacation, when you travel for business, when you have to leave the house for a renovation or a fumigation. You're a sojourner when you're not at home. Abraham was a sojourner while he was in Egypt. There was a famine in the land, and so Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt for a bit to wait out the famine. Mary and Joseph were sojourners in Egypt as well when they fled from King Herod, who wanted to kill the baby Jesus. They were away from home. Abraham and Sarah were away from the land that God had promised to them. They were there temporarily. But as much as Abraham was a sojourner while he was away from the promised land and living in Egypt, much more was he a sojourner in a different way. In fact, even while he lived in the promised land, He lived there as a foreigner because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Through the promises of God, Abraham had his eye and his heart set on a better country, better even than the promised land of Canaan, which flowed with milk and honey. He had his eye and his heart set on a heavenly country, prepared for him by God. And so, whether he wandered in Egypt or he settled in Israel, Abraham was a sojourner his whole life long. He was here, in this world, in this life, temporarily. And his home was elsewhere. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, Peter says. That's you and I as well, sojourners. By baptism into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we received adoption as sons of God. By incorporation into the death and resurrection of Jesus, which atoned for all our sins, we have been made into new creations. By his wounds, we have been healed. We were strained like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, and our home is with him. It is not here in this world. We are here temporarily, but our home is elsewhere. That's captured in the word exile as well. A sojourner may leave his home voluntarily, but an exile has been driven from his home. That was the people of Israel in the Babylonian captivity. God warned them time and again to repent of their idolatry and their wickedness. He sent them prophets to urge them to turn from their ways, but they would not. And so he sent a foreign army, the Babylonian Empire, to conquer them and carry them off into exile. For many, it was no matter, and they gladly became Babylonians, living not as exiles, but as citizens of that empire. But for some, 
for a faithful remnant, those who trusted God, as much as they were to settle there and spend their time there many long years, it would never be home. It couldn't be home, because Jerusalem was their home, where God had promised to dwell with them in the temple. There's a mournful psalm, Psalm 137, that goes like this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The faithful exiles in Babylon could not bring themselves to perform the joyful songs of worship in that foreign land. They were afraid that if they did, they might forget that Jerusalem was their home, that those songs belonged in the promised land of God, that the temple was the promised dwelling place of God, that they were foreigners in a strange land, that they were waiting for God to redeem them and return them to their home. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, says Peter. That's you and I. We are in this life, but temporarily, far from home and exile. As much as we would hate to forget what it's like to worship together in our sanctuary, how much worse if we were to forget that we are strangers in a strange land altogether. Jesus tells us about how strange this land of our exile is. Did you notice what he said in our gospel lesson? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Think of that. The disciples were grieved because Jesus died, but the world rejoiced. Christians are sad to see Jesus depart, but the world couldn't be happier to have him gone. They're glad to have him out of their hair, glad not to hear him preach the kingdom, call them to repentance, and offer them forgiveness. The world is glad when the word of God goes silent, when they can do whatever pleases them and make their own way. Christians are grieved when Jesus departs, but the world rejoices. If that does not reveal how out of place we are in this world, what else possibly could? What more proof do you need? And so Peter urges us to live as sojourners and exiles. Do not forget that God is preparing for you a heavenly city. Keep your eyes and your hearts fixed on your homeland, that heavenly country where we will live and abide in God's love forever. Do not forget, and as sojourners and exiles, Peter says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It is not just the world that is glad to be rid of Jesus, but it is your own flesh with its passions and desires that would have you make your home here in this life. For what your flesh desires is contrary to the Spirit, is contrary to God's law, it's contrary to love. And it is on account of the desires of your flesh that this world is perishing, that the world is under judgment, that you must die. And so to live here as sojourners and exiles means that you must pay attention, not just hoping for a better future, but resisting your inclination to settle down, get cozy, and make this life your home. What does that look like? Peter gives some very specific examples. Live honorably, he says, so that no one can call you an evildoer, and so bring reproach on God's name. Live as a reflection of God's character. Live in the image of Christ so that when they see you, they do not see an evildoer, but they see Christ. Do good by living peaceably and in obedience to authority. Notice what Peter said. Live as people who are free, 
That is, freely subjecting yourself to human authorities, to the government, to your parents, to the head of your house, because they're all from God. Not because you're compelled or enslaved by them, but because it is the will of God for you in your freedom. Do good, Peter says, to the point of suffering injustice. Follow the example of Christ, which we heard last week, who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Now, Peter's examples of abstaining from the passions of the flesh are particular for his audience. Folks who were scattered throughout Asia Minor, who suffered injustice and persecution because they were Christians. Suffer patiently, he says, for that is to follow the example of Christ. And the same goes for us. But the task of abstaining from the passions of the flesh is not limited to obeying authority or living peaceably or living honorably so that we may leave a good witness for our neighbors. It is conforming our whole lives to God's law, to his will, in love for him and toward our neighbor. The works of the flesh are evident, says St. Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The works of the flesh are evident. Abstain from the passions of the flesh and instead cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. To live that way, to live according to the law of love, seeking what pleases God, to do that is to strain against your flesh, to strain against your inclinations, which would have you treat your life as home. Treat this life, this life of flesh, as home. To do all of that, to despise what is evil, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, and to cling to what is good, to practice what is righteous and holy, is to run against the grain of this world and everything that it stands for, because we are sojourners and exiles here. We are not Babylonians. We are the true Israel of God, and we eagerly await that day when he delivers us from this foreign land into his heavenly Zion, a new Jerusalem, where we will no longer have to strain against the passions of our flesh because we will have put on Christ eternally. We will have been clothed in immortality and incorruptibility, and we will be perfect, even as he is perfect. We are right now in that time of sorrow that Jesus describes as the time of birth pains. Indeed, St. Paul says that all creation is groaning as if it were in labor, waiting for redemption, which is drawing near. It is a time of waiting and watching, which is good, as Jeremiah says. It is good because our waiting will not be disappointed. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Not the world, not its pleasures, not the desires of my flesh. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear his yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. Let him suffer as Christ suffered. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Much rather God disciplines us as his beloved children, as those who wait for him. On the far side of this waiting is not just the end of grief. It's not just the end of sadness and alienation, not just the removal of pain, but it is joy beyond measure. Even as the pain of labor does not just disappear into nothingness, into normalcy, but it gives way to the joy that a child has been born, so will the struggle and strain and sorrow of this time of sojourning and exile give way to joy in abundance. 
a joy that no one can take from us. The joy of home, of a city built by God and a heavenly country. So I say to you, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Live godly lives here in time, asking in the name of Jesus for strength and endurance and fullness of joy, and he will surely grant it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. Implant your word in us, that with good and honest hearts we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith. We humbly implore you to rule and govern your church throughout the world. Bless all those who proclaim your truth, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, and that faith in you may be strengthened, love toward others increased, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to the President and Congress of the United States, the governor and legislature of this state, and to all those who make, administer, and judge our laws. Grant them grace to rule according to your good pleasure, for the maintenance of righteousness and the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. According to your good pleasure, turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their hostilities and walk with us in meekness and in peace. Comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, all who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, danger, or any other adversity. Grant this especially to Lucy, Donna, Lori, Roland, Vivian, Kathy, Barry, and the staff and residents of the Good Shepherd community. Grant courage and steadfastness especially to those who suffer for your name's sake, doing good for your name's sake, and doing your will, that they may receive and accept their afflictions and the confidence that you will acknowledge them as your own. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and punishment, yet we ask you, O most merciful Father, not to remember the sins of our youth, nor our many transgressions. Out of your unspeakable goodness and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger to body and soul. Preserve us from false doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, from an evil death. In every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all, especially to those who believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, crowning them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with our offerings. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. 
These and whatsoever other things you would have us ask of you, O God, grant us for the sake of Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Once again, God's peace and blessings to you on this, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Just a couple things to draw your attention to. I'm sure that you've seen by now that uh, uh, Governor Waltz extended the stay-at-home order until May 17th, 17th or 18th, a couple more weeks. Um, So it it sounds like there's a bit of a flexibility as far as how those dials will be turned, at what point um, churches will be able to gather again. It evidently will be after small family gatherings will once again be permitted. So, um, you know, we're left in a bit of just a lot of uncertainty here about when one would be able to gather again. But uh, I'd like to just assure you that as soon as, as soon as it is legal, as soon as it is licit, we will uh, be back here in church taking whatever precautions are needed in order to keep everybody safe. But um, it, is, uh, it will be good for us to be back together again. So stay tuned. And uh, even if it's on relatively short notice, if we are able to have church, you know, if they announce on Friday, or Saturday of next week, or the week after that, that we can have church on Sunday, we will uh, do whatever we can to be here at church. So stay tuned, um, make sure you watch your email, and, and spread the news as possible. Uh, and just a, a, again to show you what is in the bulletin insert this Sunday for your family devotions, the, the lesson, the Bible story for the kids um, especially is from Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram, which fits well with the uh, with the, with the notion of us being sojourners and exiles. What a strange thing it was that God called Abraham from his homeland, from among his father and his brothers and his family. Um, God called him from there to a place that he had never seen, where he, d- he didn't know where it was or what it would be like, except that God had promised that it was for him and for his children, and it was uh, filled with God's blessing. And Abraham, the man of faith, our exemplar of faith, uh, took up his roots and followed God's voice, went where he led him and did not, uh, didn't look back, um, was seeking only that homeland that was promised to him by God. It's a great example for us. He is, uh, he shows us throughout his life what faith looks like, and we ought to always strive to be like him, keeping our eyes fixed on the promises of God, uh, waiting eagerly uh, for their fulfillment, even as a mother in labor waits for the arrival of her child. That's an, an urgent uh, and desperate waiting, not to be disappointed because God uh, will keep his promises. Those are all the announcements I have, um, except to, to tune in again this week on Wednesday for, for Zoom Bible study. We had a bit, a bit more of a turnout this week, which is great, and I hopefully you were able to listen in afterwards if you didn't uh, tune in at the time, but uh, it seems to be working well. There's also the option of, of dialing in on your, on your cell phone or on your, on your home phone, even if you don't have a computer uh, that can connect. So please, uh, please take a look at that and join in. Send me any questions you have, um, and... Well, uh, it's a good way for us to keep in touch. It really, uh, really ends up being very nice to see everyone's faces or at least to hear their voices. Um, with that, once again, God's peace and blessings, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.